Spencer Balpern, the two hundred brass. I'm Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio. My guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio is well, our guest. Um, our guests are uh, two prospects, two pitching prospects, Tuki Desant and uh, uh, left-hander Brian Johnson in the Red Sox organization. Uh, you can tell as I'm saying this that I've forgotten to what organization Tuki Desant belongs, but. One man can help us in this endeavor. Uh, Only that, one man. And that's the one who's joining me right now. It is uh, lead prospect analyst for Fangraphs.com, Kyla McDaniel. And Kyla McDaniel is actually the one who has uh, conducted these interviews, and he will help us right now. Kylie, hi. Hello. He's with the Diamondbacks. He's with the Diamondbacks, the yes. First-round pick out of a Miami-area high school, Coral Springs Christian Academy. Right. To the Diamondbacks. He is, right. And uh, you, uh, you've you spoken with these two. We did this recently with Jeff Hoffman. And also uh, Nick Gordon, Nick Gordon, Nick Gordon, the Twins prospect, brother of D. Gordon, son of um, Tom Gordon, and then also Jeff Hoffman in the Royals. Or, no, <laughs> Blue Jays organization. Got um, it. Got it. And um, um, and we did that. This is this is a very uh, sort of similar thing. You're talking to, to two prospects who are um, pitchers, who are pitchers in the minor leagues, and uh, getting things going. You talk to uh, let's let's talk about Tuki first. Tuki Toussaint. Uh, you, I think one thing you're asking about is, uh, I think you get it to it with Johnson as well, but more with Toussaint, is this uh, adapting to professional hitting? Because uh, he came right out of high school, and I think that uh, he talks about this uh, this sort of tension between, or, or this idea of how much credit you should give the hitters, right? He said he started off by giving the, critters, the hitters too much credit, but on the other hand, uh, he also mentions that when he was in high school, Whenever he wanted to, he could basically just throw a 94-mile-per-hour fastball and get someone out. Yeah, and that's – when you get down to it, uh, I know I've had this discussion with the scouts and when I was the team, I would bring it up, and people always sort of shrug their shoulders. Uh, but when it comes down, like when you're drafting a guy, and there's let's say there's three high school pitchers you're considering, and they're all basically the same when you add it up. They're all you know ranked right next to each other. Uh, the, the things that separate them in the end are, is he going to get hurt? And is he going to be able to make adjustments, like in a broad sense? And so typically what you'll see when teams are deciding which one they want, it's not the one with the most stuff or the one with the tallest or the one from, like, you know, the biggest city or the best high school team or whatever. It's the guy with the cleanest delivery as a proxy for future health uh, or the best past health as a proxy for future health and the one that they think is, like, most, like, mentally ready for, like, pro ball and, you know, sort of has, like, a work ethic and a focus and seems to sort of have his stuff together uh, to sort of, you know, be a professional baseball player as opposed to, well, this high school guy throws 97. And, like, those are the guys that kind of flame out at the ones that can do that and not a whole lot else. And so a lot of the things scouts look for, especially in the lower minors, is trying to figure out uh, that sort of adjustment question, which obviously has a lot of facets to it. And so when I'm talking to a guy, uh, you know, like Nick Gordon, obviously a hitter, but then uh, Tukey, both high school kids that played a lot but are now getting their first look at pro ball, is sort of how are those early indicators, what are the things that are standing out to them, what's sort of a challenge, and just kind of use that as a way to get your bearings and sort of where they fall in that spectrum for those two questions. Well, you asked him about, because he, he was throwing harder uh, at some points in high school and on the showcase circuit, but I think he actually dialed it down for the purposes of command um, uh, when, later in his high school. And that, that seemed like it might be a mark of maturity or the capacity to make adjustments. Yeah, and most guys, like, he went from uh, unknown to well-known because he threw a really good curveball and hit, like, 94 when he was, like, 15. And then fast forward from that moment all the way up to, you know, late in his age 18 year when he's going to be in the draft – 
uh, he suddenly started throwing like 90 to 94 with a little less break on his curveball, but then he could throw it in the right spot, had some movement, had some command, started throwing a changeup that was sort of good for the first time. He knows he could have gotten seven figures easily by just throwing the same way, uh, in much the same way we've talked about, uh, you know, well, I saw, you know, Tyler J did this as a college reliever. I think he could be a star. You're kind of imagining things. Guys can imagine him being able to dial things down. Uh, but by him actually doing it, he made himself more money and made himself sort of more prepared for pro ball and, you know, closer to the guys he need to be in the big leagues, which I know, you know, Saris has talked about a lot about asking young pitchers when they choose to throw their weakest pitch against hitters that can't throw, can't hit their best two pitches, which is kind of something I was harping on because that's another way to sort of get an idea of where he's at mentally is how did he feel about that? Why did he do it anyway? Does he think he needs to keep doing it? Like that whole sort of conundrum. Uh, well, that's right, because he threw the changeup in high school even though he didn't really need to, right? Which in high school throwing a you know 87-mile-an-hour changeup, that's the fastball they can hit. Why would you throw that when they can't hit 94? Mm-hmm. Like you're throwing exactly the pitch they're hoping you throw. Um, right, but I guess it's uh, it, it shows that he's uh, interested in developing and getting better. And if you're truly as good as you think you are, you should be able to strike him out with that pitch too, which he was. Yeah. Well, A7 changeup is pretty strong. Um, yeah. Very good for Tuki Toussaint. Uh, it should be noted that Tuki Toussaint, the third player you've interviewed in this series, uh, uh, retains the streak, keeps the streak alive of young, young prospects who have referred to you as sir. <laughs> so good, congratulations. Yeah, both of the high school prospects have called me sir. Yeah, that's right. Uh, now one that did not call you sir also should be noted was a college prospect. Uh, left-hander Brian Johnson in the Red Sox system, currently pitching at AAA Pawtucket. Uh, also notable because I, I call him a left-handed pitcher, but he has not been exclusively a left-handed pitcher for that long, and that's uh, in part uh, one of the things you guys discuss. Wait, has he been pitching right-handed? Did I miss this? No, that's not it, Kylie. He was a – what, he was what, a catcher? A catcher in DH in, no. in college? He's a left-handed pitcher. He can't be a catcher. <laughs> not at the same time. He caught – I'm telling you – he caught in the Northwoods League one year for Madison. What? With his left hand? Oh, wait, I might be wrong. Maybe he played first base. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that didn't happen. Who am I thinking of then? I don't know. He, he was first base DH. All for, right. Uh, a long yeah, you're right. There was a University of Florida guy who was listed as a catcher for uh, Northwoods. It's not important. Not important at this point. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't uh, know. Brian Johnson. Uh, I guess – so one thing you bring up with him, and I, I – I hadn't thought about it, uh, but it is true. Um, sometimes there are more prospects actually at Double A than there are Triple A because Triple A also has to have some experienced guys who can make the uh, transition more easily to the majors. Uh, Big league inventory, as they're known. Okay, yeah, that's, oh, that's a great that's a great way to, to characterize it. The um, uh, he is, uh, but apparently there are uh, maybe you think more prospects at Pawtucket than other Triple A teams. Way more. I mean, I haven't looked at it, but it might be the most, like, prospect-loaded AAA team of all, all time, especially if you include Rusny Castillo, who has uh, the Cuban they just signed for, what was it, $72 million? who has no big league time, so I guess technically is a prospect since he's never played in the big leagues before, uh, but, you know, just signed a huge seven-year big league deal, and is, I think was more squeezed out, not due to his lack of readiness, but because of, you know, the outfield glut out there. Uh, but, yeah, they got Henry Owens, homegrown, Brian Johnson, homegrown, and Eduardo Rodriguez, who they got for the Andrew Miller deal, all as lefties in the rotation who are all in the top, uh, what, 125 in baseball or something like that. And then you got Rusty Castillo out there, Jackie Bradley, who I guess is a little past his, uh, his prospect days but still probably qualifies as a nice young player. Uh, I think Devin Marrero's there. 
Swihart? Uh, Swihart? Yeah. Is Swihart there? Yeah, Swihart. Swihart is there. Yeah. I, I think, uh, uh, I think Travis a, Shaw. Some sort of chikini. Is there a chikini there? Yeah, there's there's one of those chikinis there. <laughs> yeah, every, every they class. got a lot of dudes. Like if you were to have that many notable like top 150 prospects on a team anywhere in the minors, it would be a huge story. But the fact that it's a Triple A for a high profile team like the Red Sox is kind of interesting, and yeah. I'm pretty sure unprecedented. Right, but it, it seems as though Brian Johnson doesn't really think of it in that way. It's just there's teammates, and that's what he's dealing with. Yeah, and I knew that's how players felt, but you always have to sort of ask him that question to get him talking about stuff. Like, uh, I know he doesn't think of himself as a, doesn't necessarily have swing and miss stuff, I'm a pitchability lefty, I'm a this kind of, like, everybody knows that the players don't think like that, uh, but it's a way to sort of get into their head, so you kind of, it's like a good entry point to be like, well, I know you don't listen to everything writers say, what do you listen to? Uh, prepare for this segue. Another thing that got into Brian Johnson's head was a batted ball. Um, which, <laughs> wow. Which is too yeah, soon. Too soon. Too, maybe, maybe it will always be too soon. No, I thought you actually, um, handled this, uh, tactfully, which is shocking knowing you and other times. But he, uh, yeah, he got, he got hit with a batted ball, what, just a couple years ago now? Uh, as a, a after he'd been drafted with, by the Boston? By the Boston, yeah. By the Boston. I was gonna say the Red Sox. By Boston. I, I you were gonna... I thought you were going to recount my Moncada interview where his, the agent's wife told me to, uh, you're the grown-up one here, be mature. Yeah, um, but but so Johnson, though, uh, he, he talks pretty frankly about recovering from that, and I guess, you know, he seems to be pretty comfortable with it now, but, uh, it you know, there's a, there's a sort of whiff of randomness to it. But I guess there's also maybe, I don't know what to call it, skill, but th- there is, you make this point about some guys who do and don't close their eyes when they pitch. Yeah, I remember I, there's a veteran scout in Florida that would always uh, kind of do the old take me aside, put me under his wing, like literally put his arm around me, and like, uh, you know, I'd, you'd be like, yeah, hey, we got a question about it. I'd be like, oh, like I don't feel like I have a great feel for like judging catchers defensively, like from a scouting standpoint. I feel like I have a pretty decent feel for all, like most of the other things, but that just seems a little harder for me. And he was like, all right, well, let's. We were watching Chris Oakey uh, in high school. He's now a, a sophomore. Uh, Clemson will probably go in the first 50 picks next year. Uh, and he was like pointing stuff out, like, you go look at his feet if he does this and that. You, you know, look at his hands if the way he receives is sort of this way. If he was saying, like, if you stand this particular sort of 45 degree angle, if the ball disappears into his glove, that's a good indicator that he's like catching the fat part of the glove and a lot of like little points like that. And then he said, uh, a lot of times guys will take a camera to the side of the catcher catching a few catch, <laughs> catching a few balls. And look at his, it's like zoom in and look at his eyes and see if he closes his eyes when he catches it. Because that's like a proxy for how comfortable he is behind the plate. That if you're, you know, think of like you're on a roller coaster and you're like, you know, blinking your eyes when they're trying to take the picture of you. Mm-hmm. It's like an indicator that you're like not comfortable there. Whereas like the 15th time you've been on that ride, you're not closing your eyes when they like take the picture at that one part of the ride because you know it's coming up. And I, I actually hadn't talked to anyone about it as for pitchers. But when I was asking that question, I immediately thought, oh, you were saying like you might flinch sometimes. I know that sort of... Oftentimes we'll say something about catchers, but do you think it says something about pitchers? Uh, and I, I think I said something about how, uh, you know, maybe there's a guy that hasn't been hit that might flinch even more often than you do or something like that. Cause another thing that popped in my head was when I was younger, uh, my family had a jet ski and when I would ride it, I was terrified of falling off. I don't know why, but I was like terrified. And then I fell off and I was like, oh, you just fall into warm water and you're wearing a life jacket and you float. It's actually kind of nice. Now I'm not saying getting hit in the face with the ball is nice, but Sometimes you can fear things you don't really know about. And right. the fact that he knows about it and has, like, come through the other side, like, maybe he's a little less scared of it than a guy would be that didn't know that. Yeah. 
All right. Well, Which uh, I don't think I necessarily, you know, verbalized all that, but that was kind of what I was getting at. People are going to learn about about both of these uh, terrific young baseball players. It's exciting. And they just learned about jet skis. Yes, they did. Well, let's let them get to the audio. But thank you, Kylie, for uh, providing this introduction. I'm the lead prospect writer for Fangraphs.com. Yeah, that's true. You are Kylie McDaniel, lead <laughs> prospect analyst for uh, Fangraphs.com. I'm Carson Sestouli. Please do prepare uh, first for uh, Tuki Toussaint, a uh, young pitching prospect in the Diamond Backs organization, uh, followed by an, another conversation, in this case, with Brian Johnson of the Boston Red Sox. Thank you. It's going really good. Can't complain. I mean, we just broke. Have they told you what what team you're going to go to to start the season? Uh, they want to keep me excited for a little and build me up. And get hopefully get out of here. So uh, the the Diamondbacks changed the GMs and a lot of the top executives after you signed. Have you seen any differences, uh, sort of before and after, with how they sort of have been coaching you and treating the pitchers and things like that, or has it been mostly the same? Uh, it's mostly the same stuff. I mean. Tony Ruther is a great guy, so he knows what he's doing, and we're all following along. Uh, how, how did you feel like your transition went from high school into pro ball last year? Did you have any like specific stuff that was sort of surprising to you uh, that you needed to make some adjustments to? Uh, just the hitters. I mean, they're way better, and I felt like getting too much credit. So this year, I'm just not giving me any credit and getting after it. Yeah, was, I was going to say, was that just like the, the quality of the hitters? There weren't any easy outs in the lineup. Was that sort of the biggest thing you had to focus on? Well, I mean, going from high school, you can get away with just throwing fastballs down the middle and not having to spot up. But now you just have to learn how to pitch. I had to learn how to pitch, but it's just pitching. I, I mean, I pitched, but I used to just pitch like it was easy, you know what I mean? Now it's a little more challenging. And I have to hit my spots, learn how to use my change of curveball, and just yeah, I mean, dominate. You- you obviously threw hard early in your high school career. I think I saw you in the mid-90s after your sophomore year. Um, and then I noticed during your senior year, you started throwing your changeup a lot more than you had before. Was that was that challenging, trying to sort of work that into high school games, knowing that it was sort of your weakest pitch at the time? Yeah, I, I kind of worked on it. I started throwing it my sophomore year, but then I, I just couldn't throw over strikes. So I kept throwing in, like, flat grounds and bullpens and BP and stuff, like tossing the ball in. And I just got confidence and I was like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I don't want to be a two-pitch guy. So I got comfortable with my changeup and just started throwing it. It made a big difference, honestly. And did you – it also seemed like uh, earlier in your high school career and maybe on the showcase circuit you were throwing a little more like 100% effort. And then it seemed like at other times during the spring uh, before the draft you sort of dialed it down a little bit for command and sort of be able to command three pitches better. Was that Was that something that just sort of happened or was that like a conscious decision? No, I mean, in the second decision, like, everybody's, like, radar gun happy. So I was just trying to light the radar gun up, honestly. And I told myself, all right, you got to pitch now. If you're going to get drafted or going to college, they don't care about the radar. I mean, they see 98 to 100 almost every other day. So you're just another guy. And I took that and learned how to throw strikes at 90 and 94. And then when I want to get up there, I could reach back. 
Yeah, was that, I mean, was that something you sort of uh, uh, started down that road, or was it something that sort of the coaches were suggesting? Was that, I guess, would you sort of credit your coaching or just sort of like your upbringing and sort of like personal mentality for sort of making that switch? Because there's obviously uh, a lot of pitchers it, that don't do that that probably should. I think it was both. Like, my coach is like, all right, we want you to still throw hard, but, like, we want you to control it. And I was like, I kind of want to not throw as hard and make hitters look stupid when I'm throwing 91, 92, and I throw 95, 96, and I'm like, oh, snap. So it was, it was kind of mutual. Yeah. We got together and talked about it. Uh, when, when did you notice you had a really good curveball? Because, like I said, I, I sort of I lived in Florida until recently, and I ended up sort of running into you a lot during high school. And I think the first time I saw you, you were 15, throwing a really good curveball. When, when did you notice it? Probably like my sophomore year, I knew it was pretty good. But then junior year, I knew it was really my second pitch, or some people say it was my first. So probably junior year, I'd say. Yeah. And is there is there anything specific you're working on right now? Is it is it more just sort of you know being uh, more consistent, or is there anything like uh, working in a different pitch or working specifically on the changeup or fastball command or anything specific like that? Uh, no, I'm just learning how to pitch and learning like sequences and stuff like that, attacking hitters and trying to be more consistent. I mean, we try, every pitcher tries to be more consistent every alley they go, and so I say being more consistent and learning how to the small stuff about pitching. Uh, there's a lot of opinions out there about sort of showcase and summer travel ball uh, for young pitchers, and obviously there's some real positives like exposure and getting seen by scouts and colleges and things like that. And then you mentioned what some other people have said that the kids will pitch for the radar gun, and if you end up getting hurt, then that obviously ends up being a big negative. Do you do you have any thoughts just in general about like that sort of whole that whole culture and sort of how that's developed? Uh, I guess during your high school career. Uh, my high school career, I mean, we had guys throwing 100, so like you try to compete. So a lot of people were trying to blow up the radar gun. But I saw that, like, <laughs> honestly, it wasn't about the radar gun. Like, Brady H, and he was 88 to 90 and just carving. And then he got a little more velo, and he was 1-1. You know what I mean? So, I mean, I'll just learn how to pitch before the velo comes into play. They want to see pitchability instead of the speed. I mean, speed, you're going to have to throw hard, but you don't even have to throw hard, honestly. Yeah, it, just, it takes a little longer to get noticed, and, yeah. Yeah. Uh, is there, uh, is there like, a music or movie or TV you're into right now? Uh, I have a TV show. <laughs> All right, which one is it? The Blacklist. All right, yeah. No, I uh, I, I know uh, Mark, the coach with you this year, and I, I sent him a couple texts uh, asking what I should ask you about. He goes, I think he's really into The Blacklist. Ask him about that. <laughs> yeah, that, that TV show, that, that's a different – type of TV show. Yeah, so that, that's... Do you have any, any sort of, like, pre-game music or, uh, you know, stuff you listen to on game day or, like, a pre-game food, something like that? Like, a, like some rituals? No, I really don't have any rituals. I just come to clubhouse every day and cheer my teammates on, you know? Yeah. Get a loose kind of environment. So how many uh, terrible pronunciations of your name have you heard in the last few years? I've heard pretty bad ones. <laughs> I've heard talkie, cookie. I've heard really bad ones, but I, mean, I know it's hard to pronounce. No, I, I've heard it from scouts, too, because they, they would ask me, like, oh, this guy, I haven't seen him before. How do you say that name? And I'm like, it doesn't seem that complicated to me. But, I, yeah, I guess it could be daunting if you've never seen it before. Uh, so, last thing, I saw on uh, on your Twitter that you retweeted a home run Tyrone Perry hit, and uh, he has a little bit of flair when he hits a home run. Is there any part of you that wants to be a hitter so you could pimp a home run and do a bat flip and all that? 
Oh my gosh! I, if I if I was in that situation, there would been absolutely no jog. I would just drop back and went dug out. Okay, so yeah, so you you would want to do that. It's just because you know what the pitcher's thinking in that situation. Of course, I mean it's disrespectful. I mean disrespect the game, but that like I heard what was going on. That oh my gosh. <laughs> See, the, yeah, the internet loves the bat flip and the and the Astiel Puig and everybody being all excited and stuff, but I don't think people are thinking about what the pitcher's going through at that moment. I mean, it's, it's, pitchers don't like it. If somebody did it to me, I mean, <laughs> I wouldn't like it, but if you're talking and this and that, hey, if I get you, I get you, you know? Uh, well, yeah, that's, uh, that's all I had. Thanks for, thanks for a couple minutes, man, and, uh, you know, hopefully you can, you can get out to full season ball this year. Maybe we'll check back with you later in the year and see how things are going. Oh, yes, sir. Thank you. I appreciate it. Have a good one. That once again was Kyle McDaniel in conversation with Diamondbacks prospect Tuki Toussaint. Toussaint appears to have been assigned to extended spring training where he's currently playing. That is not the end of the podcast, however, uh, to follow here. Uh, as mentioned in the introduction, a conversation uh, once again uh, with Kyle McDaniel and left-handed Boston Red Sox pitcher uh, currently assigned to AAA Pawtucket, Brian Johnson. What follows is a conversation uh, between Kyle McDaniel and Brian Johnson. Um, it went well, you know, um... You know, we team got a W, and um, you know the the you know, Valley team. You know, they put themselves back together. I think I had multiple like team pitched bats. So I mean, you got to tip their cap. You know, they they had they put them to bats together. I mean, it was it wasn't easy for sure. And I guess this is your first experience at a new level at AAA. Have you? I guess you've had two appearances now. Have you noticed anything different about the hitters there than you've seen at the lower levels? Um, just. The approach, maybe. Um, guys don't chase as much for two strikes. Um, you know, they they have an idea what they want to they want they want to do when they come to the plate. You know, um, not so many free swingers. So I mean, more uh, more not as not as predictable. You know, you got to be you got to pitch and, and stuff like that. Yeah, I know. Uh, especially when the uh, rosters were announced. Uh... People were noting that, uh, you know, most AAA teams aren't loaded with uh, guys that are seen as prospects. And Pawtucket is seen as one of the very rare AAA teams that has a ton of prospects on it. Does that does it feel like a different sort of team to you? Or is this just a lot of the same guys you've come through the minors with? And I guess you haven't been to AAA, so you don't know the, what AAA teams are normally like, I guess. Yeah, you know, a mixture of both. I come up with most of, the, most of all these guys, or some of them, so I'm... I'm you know, I think we don't really look at each other as prospects or, or stuff like that. I think we just look, look at each other as teammates. So, um, and, you know, we want to have each other's backs and, and go out there and, and compete as best as we can. Yeah, I guess that's my job to start labeling people as prospects and not prospects. So it's, <laughs> yeah. you, you guys focus on the baseball. I'll do this stuff. <laughs> um, yeah. Do you, do you feel like you're sort of up 100% and uh, and going right now, or do you feel like it might take a couple more starts for you to sort of settle into a rhythm, maybe have everything back and clicking uh, at its best? Um, You know, I I want to say I'm at 100%. You know, I mean, I, I want to say every start is 100%. Um, but, I mean, I think that's just natural anybody. I mean, you, any anytime you jump into a new situation, it takes you a couple times to settle in and get comfortable with whatever you do in life. So, um, you know, I, I think I, I want to be 100%, and, but I think the more and more I throw, it's going to become, um, 
I guess it would be just become a little bit, uh, more relaxing and even and kind of know how to go about your business because like you said, I hadn't been at a AAA level, but one step before. So I didn't really know what kind of step it would be. Yeah. I mean, you're seen, uh, I guess putting back on my, my scouting hat, you're seen as a guy that's, uh, you know, above average stuff, but not necessarily that like, you know, plus plus Justin Verlander type stuff. Do you see yourself as like a, you know, a command type guy or do, do you not sort of categorize yourself in such a way you just sort of know what your pitches are and just sort of attack them with what you have that day? I just, yeah, exactly. I just go out there and, and throw my bullpen and, and, and kind of feel, I don't live and die on my bullpen before the game. Uh, I feel what I have working and I kind of have an idea of what in the early part of the game I should stick with. And but I mean by the third inning I, I would like to have all of my pitches at least by the third inning. So I mean I, I don't really I don't really worry about my stuff. I mean some days I feel like my my curveball is better than my changeup. Some days I feel like my changeup is better than my curveball. Some days my fastball command is really good. I mean I mean it's just I think it's baseball. I mean I don't I don't think that categorizing myself in any ways getting anything good. I think just going out there and competing and says a lot. You know I, I think keeping your team in the ball game and can go a long ways. Uh, there's been a lot made the last the last year, especially when a lot of uh, sort of hyped prospects in AAA had huge numbers in the minors and then got called to the big leagues and struggled. And so some people are saying the gap between AAA and the big leagues is maybe getting bigger or it's you know a, a harder transition for younger players. Do you feel like you've been sort of exposed to sort of the big league experience and big league players and things like that to where you you think it'll uh, maybe give you a little better chance uh, to to make that transition when the time comes? Um, yeah, I think I was very, very grateful to get a couple starts in training. For um, so I think that was that was very, very big for me to just to get my feet wet and and see what kind of lineup I would be working with and and see how my stuff played. You know, I, I mean, until you do it, you never know. But I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I think with anything, like people are going to struggle a little bit here and there. I mean, I don't think the numbers are very well. I mean. I don't really know, to be honest. Obviously, I haven't made my big league debut, so it's kind of hard to say. Yeah. But for, for me, I, I think, like, going off your question, I think going to big league spring training and getting those big those couple starts at the end there was, was big for me. So back in 2012, uh, you were uh, hit in the face with a line drive during a game. Is that is that something you're comfortable talking about? Yeah, yeah, that's fine, yeah. I guess can you just sort of talk about like the recovery process and like uh, like I guess the the process of getting back on the mound and like sort of getting past that mentally. Can you just sort of like talk about the way that that sort of affected uh, the way you pitched afterwards? Um, I, I think more than anything, it was just the mindset. You know, I went out there every day. I threw and was like, "Let's hurry up! I get the over so I don't get hit again." It wasn't. It was let's go, let's go pitch and, and not get hit. It wasn't the mindset. Of, let's go out there and and get a W for my team or compete or, or and, you know, go out there and, and win. So it was, and, 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 and the only way to get over it for me was, you know, obviously I talked about Pete Sperry and Lance Gutierrez really, really helped me out about, I mean, you know, everybody can sit there and put on the front and say, it's easy. Oh yeah, it was no big deal. But getting out there and doing it was the best thing. Just getting back out there, getting back out there is, is huge. Yeah, but the recovery process was not easy. I mean, I wasn't eating very much. I mean, I was just taking liquid. It was, it was tough. But I mean, I mean, there's more situations in life. I mean, so I guess when you think big picture, 
I was lucky, I was lucky everything I didn't have any surgery I mean anything like that so I mean I flinch a little bit now still but it's only when I don't see the ball off the bat I mean I see pitchers that have never been hit flinch so I might do it a little bit more but hey I'll take it yeah, and actually one of the things I noticed uh, when I was uh, getting into scouting was uh, veteran scouts will watch a catcher and see if he, like, closes his eyes when he's catching the ball as, like, an indicator for how comfortable he is back there. And that there's – I think they're saying uh, – some of those guys are telling me Buster Posey still does it, that he still closes his eyes, but he's just one of the guys where that doesn't necessarily say how comfortable he is. It's just a thing that he does. So, yeah, I would imagine there's some guys that maybe haven't been hit that are – aware that it's a possibility and may have just a different experience with it, but maybe do the same thing you do sometimes. Exactly. Like, I remember perfect example was at Buffalo, my last start. You know, depending on the background, sometimes you can't really see. Yeah. So, uh, sometimes off the bat, you don't know where, like, there was one ball hit on the left of the line, way foul. I didn't know where it went, and I didn't flinch or anything. I just didn't know where it went, because I didn't see off the bat. Those are the ones that kind of make you flinch, but I mean... Bob and Toothberry and I sat down and watched film. I, I did this in college. I did this in high school. I, I mean, so there was no need to make a big deal about it. I mean, I probably do a little bit more now, but other than that, I, I think it's, it's pretty, pretty normal. Uh, so when you were in college in Florida, uh, you sort of DH'd and played first base and hit and things like that. Do you think that helped you in pro ball as a pitcher? Or do you think the sort of, you know, some of the reps you put toward the offensive side of the game kind of held you back a little bit. Um, I would, I would say it held me back a little bit, but not physically, but how to pitch. Like I would, I would never. Now I sit back and I go over the lineup in between innings, and you know I never had a chance to chance to do that. It was when I came out of the game. It was who's pitching? What does he have? Hey, what does this ball do? Like so, I I I, I never got a chance to just sit back and, and be a pitcher. So now it's like, hey, I'd go to Swahar. Hey, well, how do you want to approach this guy? It was never really like that. So, I mean, and Sully's calling your games. So you don't really grow until you kind of learn yourself. Like, hey, I probably shouldn't have thrown that there or this there. You know, and, and hitting for me was, it was, I loved it. It came natural. It was fun. So I, I don't regret it one bit. But I think there is some sort of aspect that helped me back a little bit. Yes, yeah, so I guess now you're you're sort of a full time pitcher. Once you got into in the pro ball, you're kind of part time in college. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the Red Sox fans are known for being particularly an intense group. Have you had any interesting or weird experiences with Red Sox fans in person or online or anything like that? Um, no, no, not really. Not not just not not anything crazy. It's all been. I don't really, I'm not really too, in, too big into that, so I don't really know. I haven't really had an opportunity, but no, it's all been it's all been pretty good for me. Uh, is there is there some sort of uh, you know music or movie or TV that you're really into right now? I know the I know the the fans out there want <laughs> they want to have something to connect with. Like what's the what's the thing that's on your mind right uh, now? I guess on bus rides, I'm I'm, I'm big into like uh, some TV shows. I mean, I watch like TV shows on the bus, so like. I'm like Homeland is that's done right now. Yep. The Americans, yeah, uh, Blacklist. So those three shows are my my TV shows. And I, the guys, a couple of my my teammates talked me into uh, Game of Thrones. So I, I just started that. So uh, we'll see what that's that's yeah. all about here in a couple of days. People have been trying to talk me into Game of Thrones too. It seems it, that seems like a full time job. I'm not sure I'm ready for <laughs> for the commitment. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, these bus rides, I mean, we had seven hour one yesterday, so you get, um, you get like seven episodes in, so. So, well, going back to Homeland, how do you feel like the last couple seasons have gone? Are you, are you all the way up to date now? Yeah, I, I'm all the way up to date. I, I, the, the first season was unbelievable. It, it hooked you. The second one was, uh, but I, I thought the last season, the third one was okay, and then the last one was, I thought there was, it, the ending was okay. But the couple episodes leading up to that were unbelievable. Yeah, I, I agree. I feel like they like regained that form, and then they just made the last episode with like no action at all. And I was ready for like you know powder keg to explode. It was just sort of like, oh, let's all talk about it. Oh feelings. my god. <laughs> yeah, I think I think they had to make some sort of ceremony for that guy for her dad. Yeah, passing away. So I think they they, they made that kind of kind of tone it down to pick up for the next season. But season there's a, that was season four, right? Yeah, I think so. Okay, yeah, so season one was awesome, two was okay, three was, uh, and then four really needed to step it up, and it did, so I was really, really pleased. Yeah, yeah, I'll be, I'll be excited to see what they do, and I also am on the Americans, too. I, I, I guess, I guess we have that spy thing in common. It's, it's hard to do a good spy show and not get my attention. I guess you're probably the same way. Oh my gosh. And there, and if you miss one episode of Americans, you're lost. You're like, what's going on? Well, yeah, especially this season, they've been, like, introducing... Yeah, they've been like introducing new characters like every episode or two. Yeah, so you just you, you can't get behind. You know, I have, I have no idea what they're going to do about the daughter. I have, I have no idea what's going to happen there. I don't know if I've uh, Mike Aguilera and I were talking about it last night. We were texting, and um, we, we don't. I don't know if she's going to she's going to ruin something out or something's going to happen. Yeah, it also seems like in a way like the entire series has been leading to like that moment when she kind of confronted them. Yeah, because like if, if, yeah, if, like the the kids were there just so that scene could happen, and it was like three seasons in the making or whatever season they're on now. So yeah, I feel like this is going to dictate where they go with the rest of the the series. Um, exactly. Uh, I agree. Do you have any uh, last question? Do you have any sort of like game day rituals, like specific foods, or don't let anybody talk to you or anything like that? Oh no, I'm pretty easy going. <laughs> um, <laughs> I I don't like to eat too, I don't like to eat too much just because I don't want to I'll be pitch on a full stomach. But um, maybe like a, a smoothie or something, and then like I eat a try to eat a big breakfast to try to hold me over so I don't eat, don't get hungry. But then like a light, light, maybe like very, like very small lunch, and then and then maybe like a, a little smoothie before the game just to hold me over because well, I don't really like eating too much before I pitch. Well, yeah, people say pitchers are a little weird, and the lefties are supposed to be even weirder. And you don't strike me as weird. What's what's wrong with you? Um. It depends who you ask. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, I've gotten, I've gotten. You should be a righty. I've gotten. You are a hundred percent lefty, and I've gotten in between. So I guess it just depends who you ask. You're a real moving target. You're not making it easy for me. But uh, but yeah, that's that's all I got. Thanks for uh, thanks for coming in, and uh, yeah, maybe we'll check back with you later in the season when you're uh, when you're Mister Big Leaguer. Oh, let's hope. I appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> all right, have a good one, Brian. Thanks.